I'm Cass Balot, the founder and CEO of Cubes, and you're listening to the SME Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with Quace Balouche. Now, Quace Balouche is actually the owner and founder of uh, Logic Cubes. Logic Cubes is an e-learning company. Uh, so basically what they've done, they've helped a lot of small and medium-sized companies transform their in-person training to modern and accessible e-learning platforms to achieve their highest ROI on their training. They've also supported large digital training companies in completing their time-sensitive projects through rapid just-in-time development systems. So it's going to be very interesting uh, that we're going to be having today because now we're, t- we're in the training space and especially with the e-learning space. So I think uh, Quace is going to have some great stories. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have Cass. Cass, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing all right. We're we're filming this a day before Remembrance Day, and uh, any day closer to the weekend is closer than the day before. So that's always a good thing. So excellent. So you ready, excited, ready to go? Yeah, let's rock and roll. All right. So Logic Cubes, what's your story? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, we're in the business of e-learning. Uh, so what we do is we d- we develop a lot of uh, digital training solutions and things like that. But I almost got into it by accident, right? I've always had um, an entrepreneur in me uh, since I was a kid. But um, it was a lot of learning, a lot of journey. I don't know if you want me to unpack it right now or we can talk about it as we go. Um, unpack it, my friend. This is your story. Tell me, tell us your story. Yeah. So I, I, I grew up in, uh, I was born in the Middle East, but then my family moved to Pakistan where my, uh, uh the ancestral place is in Karachi. I, I spent about six to eight years of my developmental age or years in, in Karachi from six to, I think 14, I was there. So during that time, um, the place is very populated. It has a lot of um, uh, local people as well as a lot of people migrate there to find work. So I lived in this area where uh, there were some migrant workers as well. And I was 10 at the time and uh, I uh, had a friend who was a son of a migrant worker. So they weren't uh, that well off. Obviously they would do labor work. And um, so, you know, we used to play together. We used to have fun together, but uh, there were things that he couldn't afford. And that's when it kind of hit me that uh, economy plays a big role, right? How to, uh, to, uh, to improve the standard of living. Obviously, I didn't think of these things back then, but now in retrospect, I would. Uh, so that kind of hit me. And then um, I tried to solve that, right? And uh, what I did was, uh, you know, one of those um, uh, like carnival type games right? Like oh, yeah. with rings and whatnot. So there, there were the local version of those games. So I set those up and started charging the local kids uh, per session and whatever money we got, we kind of, you know, give it to that buddy of mine. So he too can afford those toys and we can play together. So that was another insight I learned way back uh, how uh, you can get money through creating value. So that was entertainment we were selling. So fast forward, when I was 14, my family migrated to Canada, went to school. Um, I went to McMaster for one year. I wanted to do life sciences, like any, uh, uh, I guess, any immigration, immigrant kid that, that come from South Asia uh, has these aspirations to either becoming a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. So I kind of followed, I tried following that track. Uh, it wasn't meant for me. So I did one year there. Uh, I changed school. I um, I actually went to University of Ontario, IT. It's called UIT in, in Oshawa. Um, they, they now changed their name to Ontario Tech. So I joined the business program there. Four years, I studied business, got out. So when I graduated in finance in 2012, uh, that was when the global economic meltdown was happening. So there were no jobs. It was a bad time to to graduate and uh, find banking jobs, right? So um, 
got out, you know, looked for jobs for almost a year. And then um, a buddy of mine, he reached out and um, just asked if I wanted to um, try my hands uh, with e-learning development. I had no clue what it was. So that's, that's, that was the accident. What's e-learning? What's that all about, right? Exactly. I mean, why? That was, that was first. I had no clue. I never heard of that word. I didn't even know instructional design or e-learnings or these careers existed. Right. So I, uh, so I, I thought about it. I said, uh, sure, I, I can give it a try. Uh, but before doing that, I actually, um, started my first venture. So that my first startup was called Creogenation. And, uh, that almost, um, again, I had that, like I said, there was a bit of entrepreneur. There was always in me. It, we, I always wanted to create value. So, um, Creogenation was essentially a digital marketing company, but very uh, visual based. Uh, so in my university years, I, I got a hang of uh, how to use a DSLR camera. I became uh, pretty okay at taking digital photos, right? That was the creative expression. So, um, so I decided one day, you know what? I have a camera, I have a tripod. Uh, why don't I just approach all um, these real estate agents and um, ask them if they need their listings, um, if I can take high definition or HDR photos for their listings and they can put them up in their portfolio. So it just increases their chances of selling, right? In other words. And sorry, when was, what year was this? What year is this, Cass? This I would you, say would be the, uh, um, 2013, maybe end of 2012 when I graduated. Right. And still there's some real estate agents that do not have good pictures for any of their listings right exactly, now. So exactly. You, can, you I, tapped into that market very, very smartly, my friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, when I got into it and, uh, it picked up really well, it was just me and another buddy of mine. And I asked, uh, one of my, one of my sisters, she actually helped uh, cold call all these realtors. So we made a list of like 10,000 realtors in Excel one by one and just calling and reached out. We got some traction. I got some recurring clients. And all that, but um, one year into it, I uh, realized that I wasn't being, I wasn't able to scale it. Right. So um, this was more, it's more started more as a side gig, right? And um, although the timing was right, I mean, imagine now during the COVID, if you had that, what with all the virtual listings and everything, it would have been um, great, great timing. But uh, so I had to wrap it up because of obviously with my first real venture, didn't have a team to scale and then all that stuff. So that's when I got that text from my, uh, one of my buddies, uh, asking if I can try, uh, e-learning. I said, sure. I mean, what, what is, what would it take? Right. He said, there are certain softwares that you got to learn. I said, you know, are there certifications? He said, no, nope, just Google them, self-learn. So I did that. I learned a few softwares and, um, uh, and then, uh, he also helped me get my first, uh, contract at one of the, uh, e-learning companies. So these guys were third-party developers. And, um, once I got that contract was on call basis. So, um, every week I would send an email asking if there's work and I come in and if there was, I would, if not, then no. So that was all happening. And, uh, sir, what, what? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Cass. Sorry, sorry, Cass. One second. You're kind of coming in and out. So that's what I want to see is everything on. Actually, here, can you pause for one second? I think my yeah, wife's yeah. trying to vacuum right now. I'm just going to tell her to stop vacuuming in the middle of our show right here. No sorry, problem. One second. Apologies for that, uh, Cass. How's your internet on your side? Because there were some moments you were kind of choppy in and out. Did you, did you hear this um, as well? Or? Sorry, it seems okay. Is it better now? Okay. Yeah, I'm wondering because I think she was plugging in and vacuuming. I don't know if I, that should have anything to do with the internet, but nah. that, that, that's weird nonetheless. So, yeah. sorry. I know. So, so let's go back to that here. So, uh, you were talking about you were taking some courses. 
to, and these are just, and these are actually self-learning courses you're talking about, right? It wasn't yeah, a, and, a and big a lot certification of it, that you Exactly. See. And a lot of it was, uh, I know back then it was lynda.com, which was big. And then a lot of Google and YouTube and, and all that. So, uh, there wasn't any certification or anyone teaching them. You just download a demo of the software, you learn it yourself, and then you learn as you go, right? So a lot of learning on the job. And uh, obviously that is that has always been one of the uh, traits I had. And uh, so I got that um, from there and I got um, a full-time contract after that. And then as things built on, I got a full-time job at one of the... Uh, big five banks in their learning team. I worked there almost for two years. And then uh, that entrepreneurial itch came out again. I'm like, you know what? I wasn't meant to trade my time for money. I've always been about creating value. How do I do that? But this time I had a good platform. I knew e-learning. I learned the tool. I became very proficient at many tools. So I just started, um, I called my manager. I said, I'm calling it quits. And she said, why at the time? And uh, I said, I'm starting my own e-learning company. Uh, so this was four years ago, uh, 2018. It was when, um, when I made that call and, and I just, um, you know what? I, I started my own company. I started building a team this time. And, um, uh, with that team, I could grow uh, and we served so many uh, clients and we built a lot of e-learnings. Some of them were end-to-end -end transforming their, uh, transforming their in-person trainings into uh, e-learnings and uh, also um, um, helping a lot of other e-learning companies uh, develop for them. So we became like their dev house. We still are. So we did over a thousand hours of development work and um, I, I call myself the, uh, the the firefighter type developer because these companies, whenever they're, they're they're crunched on time, whenever they don't have resources, so that's when I got at, I get the call to put out a fire. So we wow. jump in, we we do it last minute, we get it delivered somehow, and uh, so far the record, uh, I mean, we have a hundred percent track record of delivering, nothing missed, no issues, uh, and finger crossed it's gonna it's gonna stay that way. Fingers crossed. So that, that's what's very unique about your story, Cass, here is that it wasn't that you just started your own e-learning platform because you could have easily just said, I'm just going to go after companies that just, you know, and just do their e-learning for them, like you said, and transform their in-person training to e-learning and, and, and screw everybody else. But you actually found also another one for, for, you could almost call them, you know, rivals or competitors, but actually helping them out developing their, their thing as well. So, you know, it, it shows that because I think for a lot of small business owners, someone gets uber competitive for certain things and they feel like they can't share anything. But I think you, we can all agree on that. Sometimes there's there's way more clients out there than maybe we can all handle at once, right? Like I, I use the old personal training analogy when I used to be a personal trainer. This is before the global, before the online training thing came in was, you know, you could only train so many people in a given day. Yeah. And how many people need at that time training that, you got to share it. I mean, there's no way to, you can't do everybody at once. So it's nice to see that uh, you're very, you know, you're, you're, you're friendly to your rivals as well as to the clients themselves. So how big of a team do you guys have right now? Right now, uh, my development team is, um, so, what I, so my unique, my model is very, very unique. We have a very lean system, right? Usually an e-learning would have project managers. They would have graphic designers, uh, when I say have, I mean have on their payroll, right? So they would have project designers, they have um, managers, see, all the way, the, the whole corporate letter kind of thing. Typical structure. Yeah. Right, and that carries a lot of overhead with that. So one of my strategies was if I was going to go in, I got to go very lean so I can, uh, I can compete at price at the same time as quality. And so what I, so my approach was, I have a core team of uh, a lead developer, a lead graphic person, a lead um, video guy, um, and myself, and and few others. So four or five core teams. Everyone else, I have a pool of developers on my access, right? So I get to pick them from project to project basis. That's the arrangement I have with them. 
so there's a bunch of freelancers that I work with. Uh, they're in my network. So uh, whenever a project comes, I give them a heads up. They bill me by the hour. So uh, if you consider my pool, that is more than, uh, I would say, uh, 50 to 100 people in the pool doing different kind of things. But the core team that makes the decisions, that looks after the business, that makes sure the lights are on, everything is on, is about four to five. That's very. That, that's a very unique uh, kind of thing, which is which is good. I think the, a lot of people have this issue is, is they try to, you know, either one they're going to be so hesitant to hire anybody because no one else can do this job better than me, or two that uh, they hire like you say too many, and now they're stuck with like you said all this extra overhead and. I like your approach of like grabbing a few key people and have a pool of other things that you, other resources you can pull from depending on the project, right? So, you know, and is it all, I assume it's all based on skill set of this pool, right? Because, you know, for certain projects, even though it may be an e-learning kind of uh, tool, it's going to differ what's required project to project, right? So if you know a particular resource is stronger in one area, okay, we'll use this person for this project and for another one, maybe someone else altogether, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and you get that flexibility with having access to so many people and so many talent, right? And um, uh, I'd share another story to kind of uh, connect the dots here. Um, when you said um, having a small team is... Uh, so when I started Creo Generation, it was just me running the show, right? That's when I realized that, uh, you know, I, at the beginning, like you said, I said, you know what? I'm a rock star. I can do everything on my own. Right. But it, as it happens, you know, eight months into it, got burned out. Right. And obviously, uh, there's so many things you got to do, a lot of things in your head. So you couldn't scale as a small business. I had to shut my shop, basically, because I didn't have a team. And then right after that, I, I actually didn't open a community organization. Right. It was called the Baloch Club Canada. It was, uh, the idea was, uh, so Baloch is actually also a nation. There, there are a lot of people just like Italian, Chinese, and also Baloch are kind of like a nation. So we have a small community here in, in, uh, in Ontario. So what I try to do is organize that community and, you know, just create a platform where we can all, um, the vision was to really bring everyone together. But what happened was this time I thought with Creogenation, I didn't have a team. Now I'm going to make a huge team. So I reached out to every member of the community. We almost had a team of like 20 people initially. Uh, uh, and uh, that too turn, didn't turn out as I expected because it was hard to align everyone with your vision if you have such a huge team, especially to start with. So that project didn't go as expected. And um, so now... You know, I went back to that, my, uh, my job. And then uh, when I started my e-learning company, Logic Cubes, I thought, you know what? I can't expand to 50 people. But at the same time, I, I don't want to start with just one. So I kind of, I had to find the right balance that I can sustain and keep the expenses low while I was building my portfolio, while I was growing, while I was scaling. And then that's when the idea of a hybrid model of a sort came into my mind, having a core team that makes the executive decisions. It's always lean, right? It, that one decision-making gets faster, um, becomes efficient, uh, overhead is low, and then you have always have this access to this pool of resources and talent that you can pick on on any day and time. Oh, that's great. So what are your plans to expand this year? I mean, now it looks like you're being very successful. You had over a thousand you know, development hours and stuff like that. You're, you're hitting your, your, your projects with no issues at all. Like how are you going to grow the team? Are you going to maybe grow into another location or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, location wise, we started from a basement, uh, of, of a house. Like in, all good businesses start in the basement, right? In, in, the, in Scarborough. And then eventually we moved up to the first floor, which was just an extension, sort of like a bedroom slash lobby, right? Uh, just to have more space. Partly because it was it was really cold in the basement, and then uh, and also uh, there was more space, and then um, we moved to garage after that. So that was our third phase. We worked off a garage uh, for one year, and now we actually got an office uh, in Ajax, uh, and uh, so that that was phase three. The next step, obviously, is right now we need a bit more. Uh, marketing and communication expansion. So we're looking for actually getting more people on board 
that can uh, that can take our story further to people. And uh, obviously, within the pipeline is also to uh, finally get a real office uh, in the near near future. So I can, uh, you know, at least the whole core team can have a space to come together and, and make those uh, collaborative decisions. Although a lot of it now takes place uh, virtually, but um, it would be it would be nice to have. I think it would it would be a great progression from where we came from and where we're going. And uh, and obviously uh, we're always trying to grow our clientele. Uh, a good thing is a lot of our business is recurring business. So, um, and that is a testimony to the fact that they're happy with uh, how we serve them. And that is always um, our agenda. That's always our goal to make people happy. And uh, I, you touched upon this as well initially that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I, I just solve people's problem uh, because I enjoy them. That's just uh, who I am. And a lot of that comes back, right? It's almost like you give and um, like you said, not everyone is rival, you know, even competition. Uh, they're just like us. Everyone's trying to make uh, their own dent uh, in this universe through uh, participation. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, those are some of the things in the pipeline, the new office that we are scoping and uh, growth in the clientele, growth in the team and scaling, scaling up. Where in the office are you looking to potentially move to? I know you said you're, you have an office right now in Ajax. But uh, are you looking, so where is that, uh, in, your, in your perfect vision, where would your new office be? So I, I think the next office um, would still be in Ajax. I like, um, I live in Ajax. I, I love the, that it, it's a- Same here. Yeah, it's a, it's a small town, but um, it doesn't feel like a small town, right? And uh, it, it, everything is so convenient and, you know, it's, it's five minute drive to everywhere in Ajax. So, uh, and it's close to downtown Toronto. Right. Yeah. And, um, even the go train would take you like just 20, 25 minutes. You're in union. So, mm -hmm. um, probably somewhere North of Ajax where we can, um, uh, get, a get a, like a proper office setup and we're still scoping. There are a lot mm -hmm. of, um, I know last two years construction was, was slow due to, due to COVID. Yeah. So it has just picked up and, uh, we're seeing if there's any opportunity. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense too. Cause like I said, for listeners, yeah, I'm also based in Ajax as well. And, you know, we had a municipal election, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, I've actually had some of those, I had a mayoral candidate on the show. I even had wow. the current regional ward two counselor here, and I'm just about to land, I guess, another ward counselor as well to come on just to speak on for small business owners here in Ajax, what are their plans on how to actually improve the experience here? And a lot of them are saying the exact same thing. They want to drive more. Uh, investment within Ajax, within the corporate office kind of look. I mean, because obviously, if you if you ever been in Ajax, they have a couple of things you're going to notice. One, they really love plazas. Yes, outdoor plazas. You'd be surprised yeah. how yeah. they all have. We don't have malls, and and, and, and we have, we have no malls, yeah. unfortunately. But there's one in Pickering and one in Oshawa. But but then also some of these other ones. There's a lot of mom and pop shops, which is a good thing, you know. But uh, it's nice to actually get some of that actual investment. We have an Amazon here and we have some other industrial stuff going on, but it would be nice to have, let's say, the corporate office of, you know, Logic Cubes is now invested in Ajax or, you know, Intel or Nike or something, having a corporate office. Those are the kind of things we're looking for because we're definitely going to drive a lot of jobs here because Ajax is generally a, is like a, I forgot the term, but we just drive away usually Monday to Friday, and then come back to Ajax when we're done, right? So exactly. it'd be nice to actually have something in town where people actually just drive around. But anyway, so what is, you said you, you're, you're, I've had some guests say that uh, they're, they're allergic to overhead. So what is the kind of like the expenses that you, that you have, that you currently have right now for your business that a lot of people don't think of, think of when they think about, oh, e-learning, they just need some computers and that's it. And, you know, we just learn how to code and, and develop and that's all it is. It's it, how expensive because it possibly be. Well, what is it else that you have to worry about when you're doing this? Yeah, I think when it, when it comes to overhead, um, some of them that we really have to be mindful of are the, the fixed costs, right? So fixed obviously is um, we have to have an office, right? And um, it, it requires rent. And, and then obviously the equipment has to be up to date because we, we have... Um, the laptops, the licenses, the softwares, right? We have to subscribe to all those softwares, regardless if we get projects or not. And one interesting thing about uh, about e-learning 
which I think um, a lot of big companies, big e-learning companies struggle with is, is our project cycle. So what that means is um, uh, when clients decide to convert their either existing trainings or if they want to create new digital training for their employees, they usually do a lot of debates, a lot of, uh, you know, discussions within themselves. And then let's say they set up a start date for the project in the next 30 days. But something happens on the 29th day where they decide to just hold on it, right? And uh, they want to pick it up in the next 60 days. Quarter, or so, yeah. Right? Quarter Later. next year. Exactly, yeah. next quarter or next fiscal. Or, you know what, we the budget that we had in mind uh, is not enough, so we're just going to wait another year until the next budget comes in. So based on that, what a lot of big companies do is they have a lot of developers. They have a lot of... Uh, instructional designers, graphic people, uh, they have them on their payroll, right? And uh, that cyclical nature of our, uh, or that erratic nature, rather, of the project cycle um, actually forces these companies to keep paying these payroll, regardless if there's any project or not, right? So that was a big pain point in, in uh, these large companies. And they used to have a large pool of developers in-house, when I say large, some might have even 5, 10, 15, 20, depending on their size. And uh, these guys uh, charge quite good money. So uh, that, that is a huge overhead for any big companies, right? Uh, so my job, when I, my strategy was to avoid that payroll expense. Hence, I started that hybrid model and that rapid development model, which is... Uh, which is why we got a lot of tractions with the, some of those so-called competitors, the e-learning developing companies, right? Our, our solution is your overhead with the dev team is so high and your projects are not stable. It's all up and down. Why don't you hire us? So whatever you get a project, we come in as a SWAT team, we land, we fix the project and we leave. No overhead. We're not on your payroll, right? So that's the solution we kind of brought to the table to them and got accepted by a lot of them and the rates are reasonable. So, um, so that was our approach of solving that overhead. And like you said, any entrepreneur, uh, when uh, overhead is, is, is not a, a pleasant term, but we kind of turned that into an opportunity that we can, we can solve for a lot of other companies, which, which work in our favor. And also at the same time, keeping our own over, overheads as low as possible, just, you know, make sure that the bare minimum things are covered, the rent of the office, the equipment, the licenses, the, the pay for the exec, uh, the executive committee in a way, but the uh, rest of it is all variable. So the moment you switch your overhead from fixed to variable, I think you'll get a lot of play, a lot of margin that you can then pass on to your customers. Yeah, no, that's great to hear because. You know, I like the fact that you always look for opportunities because if, if you only, if you're a one trick pony, as they used to say, if that's all you did, and for some reason, like you said, it's very, very, very spastic and you don't even know when's what's coming next. You never find that, that level of comfort and you have that no stability, right? So exactly. having that, seeing that thing is that, okay, we know that some companies are going to hold off on their project funding for whatever reason. So, yeah. yep, we'll have, a, we'll try to load it up with enough projects in the beginning in the funnel. And once it gets to the point, okay, that's fine, but we got to keep in mind that maybe based on history, a certain percentage of these guys that say they're going to be doing with us might fall out or might delay it. So we got to make sure, let's make sure we have our other funnel full of, like you said, reaching out to other fellow e-learning companies and make sure we're capturing some of those ones as well, just to offset that in case we get some of the big ones, which that's really interesting to hear. So. Excellent. So now let's talk about the industry here itself then. So where do you see the actual e-learning industry right now? And uh, where do you think it's going to go? This is, a, this is an interesting conversation about the e-learning industry because when I sit with, with the folks from this industry, we have very different points of views. And uh, one, one of the, um, uh, so one of the ways you can measure a success of e-learning, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, it's called that. It's called a Kirkpatrick's kind of like four levels, right? So level one and two is about that training, how good it is, how you feel about it. So a lot of us feel that e-learning is stuck in level one and two, where 
there we we are so focused on just making good e-learnings learner engagement clicks and um uh, what what we do with um, how do we get the learner to consume this content end to end right uh we forgot the level 3 and 4 which are about business impact right so um what that means is let's say you you have a company you invest 50,000 100,000 1 million on a learning project, right? But you're not going to do it because you like e-learning, right? Just for the, you know, you don't invest in something for the sake of investing. You need an ROI, a return on investment, right? So right now I feel like a lot of the e-learning companies are not delivering on that ROI piece. They're so focused on making the learning engaging, entertaining. Um, hey you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for tips from the pro. Anyway, so now we're going to hit tips. Actually, we'll ask one question before you get to tips from the pro. Actually, is I ask this to all my guests. Like, what has been in your entire journey your biggest failure, but also your biggest success so far? Biggest failure is uh, scaling, scaling, scaling. I mean, uh, uh, I, I would like to call, uh, it's interesting because we're in a small business kind of podcast, but um uh, a part of my my team right now would qualify as a small business, but at the same time, my other model makes it a right, large like a hundred pool of a right? hundred, like so, right? Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question is: Is it about people on your team, or if, or is it about having access to a lot of people, which which qualifies you as a small or large? But that that doesn't matter. What matters is. Um, um, I've tried, like I said, I tried a few ventures before and uh, every time the problem I had was, was uh, scaling in a sustainable way, right? That was, that was huge. I think uh, what usually happens is uh, uh, as entrepreneurs or, or if anyone was, was really wanted to start a business, what we do is we go from job to become self-employed, right? Self-employed is when uh, like you said, we start to do everything by ourselves. We do the taxes, we do yeah, the we're, accounting, we're we do the one man shop almost, right? Yeah. One man army, exactly, right? And uh, what that what ends up happening is you're essentially still trading your time for money, right? You're not building an asset that does not depend on you. So I'm going to get to you with the next part of the uh, tips from the pro here. So this is for this, what we're talking about now are for people who may want to walk in similar spaces that you do, and they might have some just general questions about, well, how do I get started and all this sort of stuff? So is there a particular, so question number one, is there a particular e-learning niche that maybe someone who doesn't have the scalability that you have right now, because like you said, you have access to so many resources, but if someone is saying just starting right now, is there a particular something in the e-learning e niche that they can maybe start with that may not require, you know, a hundred developers and all these different things, that they can start getting some uh, some quick wins as they're scaling up their business. Yeah, I think I think first and foremost is um, be uh, technically proficient. What that means is uh, there are few basic softwares like Articulate, Storyline, Captivate, Lectora. These are the big ones, and then now there are other web-based ones, right? So um, just have what one of the interesting things about being in the e-learning is you gotta love learning yourself. Right, you have to have a passion for learning, which I, I, have, I have a large appetite. I read a lot of books. Uh, that's uh, I, I enjoy learning uh, myself. So uh, be a be a fast learner. Have an appetite for learning. And uh, what used to happen is there were a lot of different roles in e-learning before. So there was a role of instructional designer who would just look at the content, right? And then there's also content creator that would actually give you the content. And then the developer would have, take that content, convert it into uh, e-learning. So all the technical stuff. Now, a lot of these roles are almost converging or they're all, all merging together, 
right? So now it's, it's best if you, if you sharpen your communication skills, you learn a bit of ID work, right? You learn a bit of, uh, um, technology. You also learn a bit of consultancy. So, um, if you want to really start something, uh, I would say to start off, it's good to be jack of many trades, right? Learn a bit of ID, learn a bit of technology, learn consultancy, learn solving problems through learning. And then keep applying them. And as you refine your skill set, you can slowly start to sell yourself or market yourself as uh, an expert in one thing, but also know all the others, right? So that you can't you can't market yourself just an e-learning developer these days. So if you're starting, you gotta have legit. You have to be an e-learning consultant, right? And um, so that that would help you uh, grow in the market. And uh, over time, you will build a lot of a uh, lot of credibility. Right. And, and how big should uh, a portfolio be? You know, like you're kind of talking, like when you're starting to approach clients, I think a lot of, you know, especially beginners, they they might be a little bit scared is that let's say I have no clients. Like, well, what do I do? Like, should, how am I supposed to try to sell myself to someone where I haven't landed a job yet or, or something like is, is subcontracting a thing? Like, like I said, you said you, you hire a bunch of subcontractors or uh, like you said, you pull them. It would maybe that be a good learning path to uh, maybe try and develop your own just to get some of those reps in to say, okay, I've, I've done maybe X number of development, e-learning development projects, and here's what it is. Is, is that is Yeah, that thing? I think, uh, I mean, my approach has always been about showing value, right? It's not about number of projects you do, it's what problems you have solved, right? So if you can highlight, let's say with, I did a project with, uh, and, and, when I started, I started with taking free projects. So I, 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 took a lot, I did a lot of free work, right? It was for NGOs, you know, it was for corporations, uh, private clients. And uh, my pitch to them was always, um, I have an idea that can uh, save you money uh, if you convert your uh, in-person trainings into uh, uh, e-learnings, right? And then I would go, okay, this is how you do it. This is how this, these are the tools I use and I do it for free. If you're not satisfied, if I don't give you value, then, um, uh, you know what, uh, just don't pay me. This is for my own, uh, portfolio and they'd be happy to do it. Right. Anyone would be happy to do free step. Right? Free, exactly, free labor. Right? Of course. And is, is there, a, is there a reasonable number cast that you would suggest someone to start? So let's say mm -hmm. they go to the free route. Obviously we're not saying take, no, uh, do a hundred no. free jobs. Absolutely. Is there, is what's yeah, a good Yeah, number? I would say three, three to five, five two, in your portfolio so that it just gives you enough, uh, I would say, uh, content for you to, to market yourself. Uh, then you can go ahead. Uh, so if I can, if I, if I have five uh, projects in my, under my belt, then if I come to you, I'll be like, can I, I solve this problem using this approach with this client? Here's a sample, right? So you have at least four to five different ways of um, uh, communicating your your yourself or your or your skills to your potential prospect. Oh, great! And and so, what resource? Great, that's a perfect answer. So, what resources do you use yourself, Cast, that actually keeps you or that you keep up in the industry? So I'm I'm part of um, I, I've subscribed to a lot of uh, learning uh, channels, learning uh, subscriptions. I, I attended few of the conferences I used to attend, but uh, they're, they're actually good conferences. There's, uh, there's one happening this month. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called was in Toronto. It's a big one. Um, maybe DevLearn or eLearn, but they, uh, this is where all the, all the uh, uh, e-learning people, they, they come in, they discuss new technologies and those kind of things. So, um, so these are good to attend and um, leader, uh, you know, read a lot of, uh, be in touch with a lot of folks. So my LinkedIn, I would just add people from uh, different companies, uh, learning team, and just ask them questions, right? Find mentors, right? People with 10 years of experience, they, they always share valuable insights, right? So uh, really engage yourself uh, in this industry, learn about it, learn about the gaps there are, learn about opportunities there are. And it is massive, really. It is just, uh, it's an industry that started not so long ago, so there's so much more to go. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of these ones here then. So what, um, what's the best way to say this? 
Okay, no, I'll, I'll start. I'll start with this over here. So, what right now, like for e-learning, is there any special insurance that you guys have to worry about, or is it just a general commercial thing? Is is all? You yeah, need? if you're if you're obviously renting the space, then um, uh, then you would need your own like tenant insurance, those kind of things. But uh, for the business itself, at least not in Canada, I, I've heard there might be uh, uh, some American clients that actually ask for. Uh, some sort of a commercial insurance. Uh, I have never had such clients, uh, and, uh, but uh, some colleagues of mine have actually uh, pointed to that. Uh, but in Canada, there there's no, uh, obviously confidentiality is big. So you gotta have uh, procedures and processes in place to ensure that every single piece of work that you get from your client is, is confidential, right? And a lot of my clients actually want uh, me to be on their project. Right. And, uh, so I, I have to respect that and I ensure that those things, um, won't even go to my, uh, my team, but for a lot of clients that, uh, just want to deal with logic cubes, I ensure that my team has those safety nets in place where, um, we follow the strictest of protocols, but in, in terms of, uh, mm -hmm. different type of insurance, uh, I don't think they're applicable or at least as far as I know. Yeah, we always, always say that. And we always preface this by saying that Cass and I, we're not exactly. insurance agents. Please contact a licensed one just to find out, depending on whatever mm -hmm. business you're doing. Yeah, it, you, you know your risk, you know so, your liabilities. Right. So um, yeah, just dig up and see uh, where you need. Excellent. All right, next question here. What are the best billing practices in the e-learning space? Is it a per project thing that you would charge? Is it monthly? Or is there anything in between that... Uh, someone who's getting into this space, they should be considering when they start to bill for services. Because I just started asking this question a few episodes ago, because I think a lot of people are wondering like, okay, that's great, but what's the best way to bill? Sure. Like, do we, is there a standard within a business or the industry of, okay, you need to only do project billing or is it monthly retainers or is it an hourly billing or anything? Yeah, so like I have, a, I actually use all of these, but uh, when I started, um, I started with, uh, with hourly billing. So what that means is, uh, uh, with my clients, we, we decide on number of hours needed on, on that project. And then, uh, I would just quote them an hourly rate. And then, um, obviously though that expected hour, uh, would not necessarily be, would end up the same. Usually it's a few hours up or down, but, um, and then you invoice them based on, um, uh, based on the number of actual hours you completed or we expect to complete. So that was how I started. That's a standard practice. So if you're starting as an e-learning developer, then uh, you, sh you can, I think uh, it's, it's pretty safe to, uh, to go with the hourly billing. But at the same time, if you are, um, uh, for some of the project I've used fixed. And the problem with fixed is you, if you don't know 100%, if you're not certain that you can deliver the project based on the assets. So if everything is very clear, the graphics are provided, the narration is provided, everything is to the T so in, in a perfect world. world exactly. Right, right? If everything was because perfect. You, you don't want a project <laughs> at, a fixed prod, at a fixed rate that you expect to complete in four weeks will end up 40 weeks, right? And then uh, yes. you are at loss. Or at the same time, it, it's not fair for the client if a project um, that initially you scoped uh, 20 weeks, but um, for whatever reason, it got scaled down to uh, five weeks, right? So it, it's vice versa. Yeah. And uh, so fixed is a bit risky. I, I would say if you, um, you need a bit more experience in the industry, you have to know how much uh, room you have to leave for yourself and for the client, that buffer that always comes with the experience. So um, the safe route is the hourly billing. And uh, now actually uh, we are looking into, my team is looking into how we can, um, uh, create some sort of a subscription, right? So that, that would be, oh. uh, so that's something, a business problem that we have, we're trying to solve. That's something we want to crack, how we can create subscription models in the e-learning world. I don't think it has been done. They, they, I think there were templates that people sold on subscription basis, but uh, not necessarily uh, complete e-learning solutions. So um, we'll see how that goes. We mm -hmm. still haven't uh, we are, we're in the middle of figuring it out. We are, there are a few options we're looking into. So, uh, once we crack that, uh, that would be an interesting, uh, uh, 
uh, approach that we never tried before, but I think it's worth worth testing. Yeah, I think it's why not? You've already you have enough reps under you, so it's not like it's a brand new thing that exactly. you know you know you don't have experience in it. So it should be interesting here. So now I remember the question I was going to ask you. So e-learning can encompass a lot of different things across basically almost anywhere. Like I've been to a bunch of e-learnings for 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 my work as well. Is there any particular, I guess, type of industry that there's actually a hidden market that e-learning is probably going to start growing into? And I'll use the example of, oh, would it be like an insurance industry you notice you get more demand? Or is in the construction industry there's more demand? Like, do you, where do you see CAS right now? Because obviously in a perfect world, you do it for all industries. But do you find like uh, for your clients or you're getting requests are coming from a particular industry that may be an opportunity that people might think yeah, about? Yeah, a lot of, um, so there, in the e-learning world, there was, there's a pre-COVID era and there's a post-COVID, right? So, so pre-COVID, um, it was, uh, it was a harder sell to a lot of industries because it was, a lot of them were, were following the status quo, but what happened during the COVID is, um, well, a lot of things happened, but one of the things was, uh, uh people got the idea a lot of companies accepted remote work, right? So um, I think uh, the big players pre-COVID were always uh, the financial industry, right? Most of my clients are from the financial industry, the banks, the uh, insurances, because the banks in Canada, they have, I don't know, more than like 30, 40, 50,000 employees. And um, so uh, they have a large in-house team themselves. A lot of regulations. Yeah, so a lot of regulations, a lot of compliance trainings. They come in and it is very expensive to uh, get everyone in the same room on a day. And that expense is not just uh, at that moment. A lot of seat time is also, also lost, right? So um, so they, they've yes. picked on e-learning. Uh, they're still one of the, I think that they're going to grow. But at the same time now, healthcare, right? A lot of healthcare. They went um, remote, right? Doctors started taking a lot of remote clients. Uh, the telehealth, the virtual health, so they've picked on. Um, mental health agencies, they used to see a lot of in-person, but after COVID, they did a lot of virtual sessions. So they're, they're um, um, so I think a lot of small and medium companies now that were so bent on in-person client-facing things, the service industry, they're now picking up e-learning as well. So coaching, coaches are a big market because they used to be a lot of um, uh, in-person coaching. Um, now I'm seeing a, a trend in, in, in these folks creating their own e-learning modules and, and selling these videos. I was about to ask yeah. you about that, Cass. Like, because, you, know, you know, there's like the Udemy's and all these other courses exactly. where there's people putting in their own courses. Like, do you see that as a potential opportunity for, you know, like you said, doing it for these people who, like you said, they may have the content in mind of what they're trying to do. They want to put a course out, but they don't got the experience to technically really do it. They just kind of know how to speak it. So great, great opportunity, I guess, yeah, for some yeah, people. Yeah. So I, I think for coaches, like and, you said, it's uh, it helps them scale, right? That's that's one way of scaling. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I know you've been a personal trainer. You probably know uh, uh, P90X, right? Uh, Tony, Tony. Oh, yeah. I, right. I even Tony used it myself. My wife, right. Mrs. K, or, used or, it herself. Or Insanity or courses like those, right? Uh, they, they essentially followed these steps and they scaled themselves. They basically copy-pasted themselves, right? Like the George exactly. Foreman grill. That's the what yeah. I, I used to say. <laughs> We're going way yeah. back. Some people, young people are like, what the hell is a George Foreman grill? Let's YouTube yeah. it or Google yeah. it. You'll be surprised. I, had, I bought a couple of those back exactly. in the day. So anyway, so last question we have here on Tips from the Pro here is, what is your best strategy for dealing with, I'm going to give you a two-prong one, Why? for difficult clients, but also difficult employees? How do you best uh, navigate? Because eventually uh, the people who want to get into this, they're going to have to deal with clients and they're going to have to deal with employees. So how do you deal with that? Um, communication, transparency. I think uh, I can't stress enough uh, the importance of communication. I think uh, we can't hide in silos. Those are old-time old, old -time businesses. Right, we we have to, um, uh, you know, any problem that arises has to be addressed, has to be communicated in a very respectful manner, obviously, and understanding that we are all aligned to the vision. So constantly reminding people what the vision is for your organization, 
and uh, or yourself, if you're self-employed, if you're starting up, if you want to hire someone, which, by the way, is one of the biggest challenges, we can have a whole podcast just on hiring, right? And uh, <laughs> so conflicts are bound to come. They're bound to rise. But the way you handle them is is open communication, right? Hey, I'm not here to judge you. You're not here to judge me. We have a problem to solve. What is happening, right? Are you? Is it an information problem? Are you missing? Is there a skill set gap? Is there a knowledge gap, right? How can I best support? How can I set you up for success, right? At the end of the day, it's about giving value, mm-hmm. right? The the problem at hand is is bigger than the argument that I have between you and I. So that includes a client or anyone, right? So even with my clients, I'm very transparent. If there's things that I can't do, if there are things that the technology can't deliver, I ensure that I communicate that to them in a very transparent manner, right? And at the same time, if if uh, if there are things that are not making sense, if if because most of the time, what happens in our industry is the client wants everything yesterday, right? They they yeah, right. Absolutely. So uh, how how we address that is obviously. Uh, really just telling them that, you know what, e-learning takes time. It takes steps. There are people involved. There are processes involved. And oftentimes they do understand, right? So when emotions are really charged up, when they're high, the first thing you got to do is, just, you know, hey, buddy, let's take a step back. Let's calm down. Let's see what the problem is, right? You have a problem. It seems like you have a problem. It seems like I can't understand you. So let's let's talk about it. Let's see how it goes. So uh, what, th- this is one of the big, big skills for, for any entrepreneur is, is uh, really open communication, trying to um, look at the big prize. Don't, don't worry about, you know, it's not about today, mm-hmm. it's about what we can deliver tomorrow. Exactly. No, and a couple of last, last couple of more lighthearted questions before we hit the rapid fire round here. What has been your funniest story uh, running your company? Funniest story? Um, it actually happened when I, uh, when I was, when I quit my, my full-time job or when was, when I was about to quit my job, I, I, I wanted to go full, full-time on my, uh, focus on my business. Right. But it wasn't easy. Yeah. It was, it was extremely hard. And, uh, I, I remember when I tried to dial that, uh, that call with my manager, I, I, I was literally sweating, right. I, I was, I was, I turned red super nervous. Like, how, how would I say that, that I'm quitting my job? And, and if she asks why my answer would be, uh, I don't know. I just want to start my own company. Right. So that was nerve wracking. I picked up the phone. I called my manager. I, I said, um, you know what my, uh, uh, she wasn't expecting it. I said, I, I sent her an email. I said, I will, um, I have an important thing to say and can we set up a time? And so we, we had a meeting. I, I picked up the call. I said, you know what? I decided to um, quit. I decided to leave in two weeks and uh, start my own. So there was uh, almost a five to six second of silence on the other hand. And that was the longest <laughs> silence of my life, right? Uh, you can imagine, I'm like, shit, man, what's <laughs> happening now? You know what? I, I knew it. I shouldn't have made this call. All Everything just coming to your mind in, in five, to, five seven to seven seconds. seconds. Exactly, right? Your and mind right now. Sweating profusely and, and just... <laughs> Everything is there, the heart rate and, and all the anxiety and whatnot. And then after those uh, six to seven seconds, she says, wow, that's, that's amazing. I said, you know, really? To myself, not to her. Like, oh, it, that wasn't that hard. And she said, when are you, but you're going to be available for some contract work, right? And that was a hit from me. I'm like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Right. And then, um. Did you take yeah, her up I on said, that? Yeah, I said, you offer? know what? Um, of like course. And uh, she said, when is when whenever your shop is up and ready, just uh, shoot me an email, and uh, we'll send you some work, right? So that that was wow. uh, like a huge relief. And then we we kept talking and did our goodbyes and whatnot. But uh, after that call, I uh, even today when I when I think about it, uh, it just uh, you know I laugh at it, right? I said, you know, I just uh, <laughs> it's interesting how we think of a situation. And then uh, it it might not exist in reality, right? It could be. We make it seem exactly. Worse than it, it becomes really a monster be, in right? our head. Yeah, I find it funny. It's like when uh, I use the analogy, like you know, when you get the when you get a phone call or now a phone call or a text or whatever, it's like 
oh, we need to talk. That's never usually yeah, exactly. a good thing, right? Because if it was, if it wasn't serious, like in a bad way, they could have just called or, or texted you or whatever, you know, no problem. But when you hear that, you're like, oh, and what's tough is if it's in a work environment, I'm surprised she didn't clue in to say, I need to say something. Can we set some time? Because I'm thinking if I was the manager there, I'm like, uh-oh, something's going on with Cass. Does he need to step away? Is he going to leave? Is he having an issue with somebody? Do we need to get HR involved? All these different things are playing through my head right now, just thinking about it. And uh, it's funny, like you said. So last question before we throw up rapid fire around here. What is your best advice, Cass? Because you, you've been doing this for a while. How do you balance work life? Yeah, that's, um, that's a big one, right? So you, when you start your journey, especially if you choose the self-employment route, then uh, the work life gets out of the window. Right, because you're doing everything, you're running everything. Um, I remember working 16, 18, 19 hour a day initially, right? And then um, once I learned from a lot of mentors, I met a lot of people in the industry from the business side that uh, business is all about scaling, right? Your value is about reaching the maximum people. If you want to reach there, you can't do it running on your own time because you only have 24 hours a day, right? So uh, when I learned that, when I learned how to scale, when I learned how to build teams, I, I realized my work-life balance started getting better, right? I didn't have to do the taxing myself, taxation. Um, so that saved me at least a day or two every fiscal, right? I didn't have to take all the calls, so that saved me a few hours. I didn't have to do all the admin work, that saved me a couple of more hours, right? So as you build your team, as you scale, you will have, you will just realize that you would need only so many hours a day to do that focused work, that strategy work, right? Mm -hmm. Those big thinkings, those big decisions, they don't need a lot of time. What takes up time is all the admin, all the operations, all the financials, all the payrolls, all the extra stuff, right? So if you find a way to outsource yeah. those and just stick to the core decisions of how to constantly create value for your client, I think that, uh, to me at least, that that brought a lot of work-life balance and, and gave me enough time I can spend with my family. Um, I love traveling. I haven't traveled in a couple of years obviously because of COVID and all that. I didn't travel overseas, but um, I have plans to uh, do it soon. And then, um, oh. yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And I think the moment you realize that you can do everything on your own, that, that saves up a lot of um, time. And, and also it, it stops you from going insane. <laughs> well, going insane is not, a, is not a good thing. So yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on board with you on that. So. Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcriptions that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. All right, that that's my son. Oh, yeah, his, nice. That's his uh, part of it. So I have, my, I have a daughter and a son. She did the uh, what you heard. But uh, all right, these are the more lighthearted questions there, Cass. So it's more like see how quickly we can get through some of these as we're almost at the end of the episode here. So all right, first question. What would the 15-year-old self be thinking you'd be doing right now? I would be um, um, a doctor, actually. Because uh, that's what I was uh, socialized uh, to become. You, car, you are kind of like a doctor when it comes to the yeah, learning I'm, space, you know. You said firefighter, doctor, but yeah. also a doctor. So, all right. What posters were on your wall when you were a teenager? Um, football, soccer. Soccer posters, yeah. Big, soccer, big messy wow. fan. Any lady? Ah, yeah. messy. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say either player yeah. or team because I don't know. Some people like to put both, but yeah. interesting. Okay. Worst movie sequel ever made. I, I'm actually so bad because I 
probably watch two movies a year, right? So um, yeah, I don't know. I I this is something. Let's uh, see, sequel. I know I watched a few series if that qualify. Sure. Yeah, throw that I, I think uh, I I didn't watch this one, but a lot of my friends do, and they hate the the sequel of uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, not that not that one, but the uh, Hobbits. Oh, the two. Yeah, the TV, yeah, the TV show. show. The Hobbits. Oh, the, yeah. oh, the Hobbits. They said it could have been done in just one. Oh, right. Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. You're talking about like the Hobbit series where those three sets yeah, of movies yeah, yeah. from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so Lord of the, the Rings is good. And they had the Hobbits thing. Right. But the Hobbits yeah, that came yeah, afterwards. Yeah, and um, I I find it okay, but a lot of people said that it's, it's I, I too find it's too stretched. I mean, you can, can tell the whole story in, in one or two hours. But <laughs> No, you, you, did you ever watch the Harry no. Potter series movies? Okay, well, I'll, I'll flash you that, but I'll say that I wasn't bad. There was one movie. There was like a seven book thing and it was a really long one. And I caught it during the fourth movie, which, you know, I had to watch the whole thing over again with the wife because she's the one who read all the books. But I'll say that um, the worst sequel I ever saw. Do you remember the movie? I don't know if you saw this Mortal Kombat. It was back in 1995. I think I saw one of them. Well, the, the, if you saw the first one, that would have been the best one. The minute they made the second one, I think a few years later, half the cast had been recasted wow. for the movie. They had maybe only one or two characters from the original movie. And I remember Mortal Kombat, because I wasn't a huge video game fan, but I did enjoy playing it. But I remember that, that first movie was the first movie I ever went to see it twice in theaters because I liked the first movie. And then when the second came out and I heard that all these people were changing, I didn't watch it. And then I ended up watching it when it was on like, I don't know, maybe many years later, I looked at him like, wow, that was really, really bad. So worst ever sequel ever. But um, all right, next question here. If you were, if you had a sandwich named after you, what would be on it and what would you call it? Oh, that would be uh, uh, roast beef, obviously. Yeah. Roast so beef? It's, it's, it's going to be roast beef. Uh, you know, the play of the bologna sandwich It's going to be roast beef, baluchi sandwich. Right. Ooh, yeah. Baluchi sandwich. Any condiments? I'm not a Just condiment a guy. I go and, straight. Uh, what about oh, the bread? It has to be multigrain. Yeah. Multigrain with a roast beef sandwich. And we'll call it roast the Baluchi. Sandwich. That's there it. we go. <laughs> Love it. Put on a shirt. All right. Last question we have here, Kaz. Uh, like I said, what is your theme song and why? So that song hits. You're walking down the street. That song hits. People know Cass is coming. <laughs> My theme song would be uh, actually the the Mission Impossible uh, music. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's very it's very catchy. I I, I it, it puts him in that in that groove. There, there's also yeah, it pumps, pumps you up. up. It's very yeah yeah. I I listen to a lot of uh, instrumental, so uh, that's one of them. And also, uh, nice. I'm a bit of old school that way. So uh, one of my favorite songs to put me in that zone is always i don't know why but it's from frank sinatra it's um i did it my way oh yeah. i was gonna say i was my gonna say way. my way yeah. isn't yeah. it I'm my like, way wow. always, uh, frank sinatra. Uh, whenever that plays i just uh like you said I, that yeah that's my that's my zone wow that's great so any other final tips you have cast for any entrepreneur, whether it's trying to get into e-learning or just any business in general. Yeah, ident identify problems. There, there are tons of them, right? And and find people. I, I uh, one of the people that I really follow in my in my entrepreneurial journey is is Sir Richard Branson. Huge, huge admirer of him. Wrote multiple letters uh, to him. Never heard back, but I, I in that hope. Bastard, you didn't respond uh, back. Have great admiration, get great respect. So, um, and the reason is he, he solves huge problems, right? In a, in a very, so one tip would be fine. And there's so many problems in the world, man. If you think there's no opportunities, then you're saying there's no problem in the world, right? Find a problem, add value, solve it and scale it. So it reaches as many people as possible. That way, um, 
it gives you satisfaction at the end. It improves your bank balance, which obviously uh, is something we all aspire as entrepreneurs. But more than anything, you play your part in making, uh, you know, some difference, right? So that's what I would like to close. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. But uh, all right, uh, Cass, so where can people reach out to you if they want to do business with you or they need, they want to pick your brain for anything? Yeah, I'm very um, easily uh, accessible through LinkedIn, although uh, these days I'm, I'm pretty bogged with a lot of my work. So if I don't respond right away. Uh, please do note that at some point I will respond. I, I, I would love to connect with like-minded people. I love to uh, connect with entrepreneurs. And uh, I'm also part of the Ajax Pickering uh, Board of Trade. So, uh, you know, if you if you are in that, you know, if you, if you probably meet in the networking events, uh, feel free to stop by. Uh, my website, logicuse.com, has a, uh, has a form you can fill out that comes to my team's uh, inbox if you have any e-learning specific questions or if you uh, if you uh, you know want to get any any clients i'm not on social media I'm, like i said i'm a bit old school so uh but you do find me on um, uh, linkedin you do um, uh, can reach me through my website those are two primary channels all right i'll make sure to put in the show notes who can reach out to you there so thanks again Cass, for I being on the show it. i hope i i added value to your time Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories Podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure, and everything. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone would be a great fit, please contact us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. That's northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.